The Holy Spirit and His Gifts. By Rod Anderson. Lesson 8. Father, we thank you again for the Word of God. We ask you to help us as we, again, just look at an overview of these gifts of the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, this is hour number eight, then, on the Holy Spirit and His gifts. And as I said, we're just giving an overview of the nine gifts. Now, just to rehash real quickly, remember, we separate them just for the sake of trying to offer a little definition into the fact that there are three power gifts, there are three revelation gifts, there are three utterance gifts. So basically there are three gifts that do something, three gifts that reveal something, three gifts that say something, okay? Well, we've been going through the word of knowledge. Now on page 20, uh, right in the center of the page, uh, point to the word of wisdom. Again, 1 Corinthians 12, 8 says, For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge. Paragraph underneath, the word of wisdom is a supernatural revelation. Remember, if one of these gifts is supernatural, they all have to be supernatural. So we're not talking about somebody who's just naturally wise. The word of wisdom is a supernatural revelation by the Spirit of God concerning the divine purpose in the mind and will of God. It's supernatural revelation by the Spirit of God concerning certain facts in the mind of God relating to people, places, or things. It always speaks of the future. Like I said before, the word of knowledge always speaks to something of the past or the present. Note, I put down here again, the scripture says that to one is given and to another is given. Not everyone will have all the gifts. It is also obvious that the gifts aren't given equally to everyone. Now, it is as the Holy Spirit wills. And that's something else that I desperately wish the people of God would become comfortable with. And let me refer quickly to the passage where Jesus said, remember about the person with the five talents, the person with the two talents, and the person with the one talent? The five talents guy went out and invested his five talents and got five talents more. Two talent man went out and what, well, what did the Lord say to the man that took his five and got five more? He said, well done, thou good and faithful servant, right? Thou hast been faithful over a few things, I'll make you master over many. The guy with the two talents goes out and he gets two talents more. What did the Lord say to him? Exactly the same thing. He said, well done, thou good and faithful servant, thou hast been faithful over a few things, I'll make you master over more. The guy with the one talent, remember, he got, he was shook and afraid and he said, well, he said, I knew you to be a harsh master. And so I went and hid that, which was yours. And so that when you came again, I could give it to you. And of course the Lord rebukes him and says, you so I was a harsh master. He says, that's not even true. Because if you would have thought I was a harsh master, you would have at least taken it and got something more with it to give me what was mine. But he said, depart from me. And he was basically talked about being cast into outer darkness. But the point I want to get to real quick, you and I can't determine realistically how we start out. Now, what I mean by that is this. There are some people that are five talent people. That's God's choice, not ours. There are some people that are two talent people. There are some people that are one talent people. What I mean is not everybody is called to be a successful bank owner, but everybody God wants to make a success. You might be the most prosperous rubbish collector in the whole state. I don't know. But what I'm trying to say is 
What we do know is that God wants us to be faithful with what we are given, whatever measure we're given, because He is in the business of multiplying and promoting and creating places of honor. And He can very well make anybody a millionaire, do anything to anybody, but the point is this. What happens is, let's say you see somebody that just, just somehow, they just got it. I mean, they don't even have to hardly try. They're you know, five talent person. They've got gifts. Well, just like I said, I, I, I read like this guy's book that we referred to last hour. You know, I, I listen to a guy like this, and if I'm not careful, it'll so intimidate me, I don't even want to preach it again. I don't want to, how can I teach after hearing this guy teach? You know what I mean? Because this guy is so beyond my scope. He's, he's touched some things of the kingdom so beyond what I've experienced to date that I can either go, oh my God, and get frustrated and say, well, forget it and be depressed, or I can say, oh my God, there's so much more. I'm going to keep at this because I believe it's a, I believe God's no respecter of persons. But what if I'm not careful, I'll say, well, look at that guy's a five-talent guy. I'm evidently like a two-talent guy and get all mad and depressed instead of just, okay, well, whatever. If I'm two-talent, I'm two-talent. But the reward of the Lord is going to be the same for me as it is for him. Amen? Do you really hear that? So when it comes to the things of the gifts, see, you may not ever be a Benny Hinn. Oh, you may be. You may not be a whoever or Billy Graham, but you may be. But the point is, you are who you are. You're uniquely who you are. You're who God made you to be. And God has equipped every single one of His children. And the Spirit of God has not come in you to stay and rest there dormant for the rest of your earthly life. He wants to manifest Himself through each and every one of you. Do you hear me? You did not get saved just so that you could go to heaven and sit in church the rest of your life and never evolve into something more than you are today. Yes. You've got to get that through your head. But the fact is most people get saved and that's enough. Well, I go to church. No, 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 no. This is what we've got to get delivered. Our people, the people who got delivered from, they get saved, they sit in church, and they're actually just, instead of playing bingo, now they play church. <laughs> you know, they used to go to bingo halls before. Now they just switched hobbies. You know what I mean? But there's been no dynamic change. They don't, they, don't they don't start releasing their faith to be more than they are. They become, they accept a certain state of affair. Like I said, they accept abnormality until it becomes normality. And they have a whole world of excuses and logic and reasonings to justify how they live for the rest of their life. You and I are called to stretch out and go for all that there is available. Do you hear me? We are not to be found frustrating the grace, this incredible, amazing grace that's come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Do not frustrate. The word frustrate, remember, at the tail means to make of no effect, to nullify, to make void. This incredible grace. You have been saved. You are the redeemed of the Lord. You have eternal life. Right now, you have eternal life. Your future is secure. When your heart beats its last beat, you're in the presence of God. That's how it's going to happen. Just like that. So you've already made it. So now all you have to do is while you're down here, fill in the spaces till that day. But because you've already made it, what do you have to be afraid of? See, that's what the Bible teaches. Why are you afraid? Why do we allow so many other things to oppress us, steal our time, waste our days? No, 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 no. Christ died for me, Christ died for you, and was raised from the dead that I might live a resurrected life, not a, not, a, not a crucified life. I've been crucified with him that I might live after the likeness of his resurrection. Hallelujah. But you have to go for it. And I don't care. Religion will tell you just to stay where you are, be nice, be passive, relax, don't cause waves. 
The Holy Spirit, when he begins to manifest, like I said, even to read and something, he'll, he'll make waves everywhere because God really is looking for somebody to show off through. Hallelujah. That's why he'll use people that are bold. He, he'll want to put some boldness in you. He'll want you to be a risk taker. He'll want you to understand that, listen, you don't have the power to heal a fly anyhow. So would you quit worrying about you having it? You know, well, I don't want to lay hands on somebody because I don't have enough. No, you don't. Well, you ain't never going to have enough power to heal the sick. You're never going to have enough power to deliver anybody. You aren't, but God is. All we're called to be is obedient. Now, I always used to tell people, how many of you have hands? And they'd, I'd say, hold your hands up. And I'd say, take these suckers and lay them on people. That's what you're called to do. Doesn't even say pray. It just says those who believe will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Doesn't even say you pray for them. Just lay hands on them. And when, a rep, when illumination, see all the stuff we're talking, when the manifestation, when the light of God's spirit begins to shine this stuff on you and the truth, you, you, your spirit begins to catch up with what God's spirit is trying to teach you. It becomes more and more alive to you. There is something very potent, potent, virile about revelation. It makes you potent. It makes you a force to be reckoned with. You carry something that others don't carry because it's a real thing to you. It's not just a teaching, a doctrine, a story. You've made a decision that the kingdom of God has come nigh you. He's within you right now. Jesus said, behold, the kingdom of God is within you. I mean, it's the dominion of the king has come within us when we got saved. So this spirit that's within us, God's Holy Spirit is looking for an avenue, just like the Father is. His eyes are searching throughout this entire earth, looking for somebody that he can show himself strong through. It doesn't say someone that he can show himself weak through. Well, I think I'll just be weak through her and weak through him. No, he wants, I mean, there's nothing about God that's weak. He wants to show himself strong, but he's got to find willing vessels. Somebody that has enough spiritual backbone to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start praying for people. I mean, really, we're going to start laying hands on the sick. We're going to start, you know, like that activation thing. I'm, I'm you know, bless God, I can prophesy. I may not be, I'm not saying I'm a prophet, but, you know, I can, pro I'm, because I've got that spirit in me and because I love people and I want to be a helper of people. And so, Lord, I ask you for it. And you just begin to pull on God and pull on heaven. Lord, I want this at work in my life. I don't want it because of me. And, I mean, you, you know, and you, and you know if that's really the case, don't you? And I mean, but like I said, if you begin to cry out to God, God will not allow. Like, I love that in Matthew 15 when the multitudes, the second time when Jesus feeds the multitudes and he says, I am not willing to send these people away hungry. I got to tell you, you've got to hear that. God is not willing to send anybody who's hungry away. He wants them fed. And you and I see hungry people in this great city every single day. And we do not have to wait to get in the church. And I don't know if I've said this yet or not, but when I had the, the full-on Bible school that I used to teach, when we really had a long time to teach in the Holy Spirit, I'd challenge the students. I'd say, find one scripture for me where the Holy Spirit manifests in the church or in a church-type meeting, even in the New Testament. You don't find it. Well, you may find the odd kind of something that kind of references it, but not really. The point is, today, we spend all of our time trying to forego, oh God, oh God, oh God, to get the Holy Ghost to manifest in our church services, where in this place, in the Bible, if you read it, He manifests in the streets. Do you hear me? If you really want to see him begin to manifest, it's when you go out there. Just like what we just got to read in here. These people going to McDonald's. These people going to Burger Kings. They go into bus stations. They go into hospitals. They go into wherever. That's, and that's where he loves to show off because the Holy Spirit is to, he'll convict people of sin. He wants to demonstrate Jesus is Lord. Well, you already know he's Lord. So why does he really, why are we begging him for miracles when we've already received the greatest miracle there is? I know your flesh is like, I'm flesh. I like to see him. I've seen some that blew my mind. 
That's great, but the point is the people that really want to know, the people that really need the manifestation of the Spirit of God are people that don't even know Him so that they can be convicted in their hearts that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But hear what I'm saying. Remember all the time what you believe, you empower, you create atmospheres. And see, we have so, so harnessed the Holy Spirit into subtly the way we preach that, you know, we're, we try to end a church service, end a church service, end a church service that really you come to church and hope for the manifestation of the Spirit of God as opposed to realize, wait a second, I need to be thinking about it when I'm on the bus. I need to be looking to somebody and say, Lord, do you, do you actually have a word for that person? Now, don't get weird on me. I mean, some people go out there and, you know, like I had a friend, my friend Ron Perry. Ron, oh, Lord, I got to hurry. I'm telling stories. <laughs> Ron made me, Ron was a guy that when they, he went to Teen Challenge at the same time I did, they found him on the streets of Hollywood. He drank two-fifths of tequila. He he'd dropped three tabs of pink wedge LSD. And he was on his, four, four, on all fours, beating his head against the concrete cement in Hollywood going and saying, mercy, mercy, mercy. He had gone, he'd wigged out. He was gone. And this guy, Stan Stevens, who was the, uh, Director of Ventura Teen Challenge saw him, pulled over the street, opened the car door, threw him in, kidnapped him, basically, and took him to Teen Challenge. And for the first seven months of Teen Challenge, I was there in the last two months of Ron's stint before he started working for Teen Challenge. For six months, Ron was not able to, to, to speak one word. His mind was fried. But Eddie started praying over him. Everybody started praying over him. And pretty soon, the only words he could speak were the Bible. It was such a trip. The only thing he could speak. And he's, now, he's tall. Ron's about six foot six. He's got size 16 shoes. And an incredible musician. He's written, he, he was, they took him to meet the President of the United States. And he was Mr. Teenage USA and all this kind of stuff. But Ron was nuts. Ron was just funny. He, the LSD had one eye look ahead, one eye look this way. And when he first started getting healed and he could talk, he'd walk through the, the halls of Teen Challenge and he had one eye look this. And somebody was new, they'd be brand new, and they'd, Ron would walk up to him and go, heal. <laughs> and they'd go, ah! Because <laughs> he freaked him out. But anyhow, Ron came over here when I first came. And he, I asked him if he'd come, and he came. And he wanted to, uh, he wanted to come to London. I had him come so we could go do some meetings together. And he'd play beautiful—I mean, guitar, singing voice like you wouldn't believe. Ah, you'd have to know Ron. He was so simplistic and so childlike. He said, "Ron," he said, "you know how, you know how you hear about when people speak in tongues sometimes, that other people, you know, they'll hear their own language." He said, "I was sitting in this in the, in the, on the plane." And he said, there were these two Arabs sitting next to me. And he said, they're talking back and forth in Arabic. And he said, I got to thinking, you know, I bet if I wonder, if, Lord, if, do you want to use me like that? What if I just speak in tongues to them? Maybe they'll understand the gospel. And so he said, I plucked up my courage. And he said, these guys are talking back and forth tongues. And I tapped them on the shoulder. And I went, and he said, then I just stopped. And he said, they just looked at me, didn't say a word. And he said, I looked back at him and I went, then I gave him another burst of tongues. And he said, they just looked at me. And I just looked back at them and he said, fine. And then I looked at him and I said, uh, did you understand what I said? And they said, no, the Arabs said, pardon me, sir. They said, perfect English. Pardon me, sir. What were you saying? He said, I don't know. I thought you might know. <laughs> so I'm not saying don't go out there and get wacky. You know what I mean? Don't go out there and just, you know, get on the bus tonight or on the tube and go, you know, oogla, oogla, oogla. You know, you know, I've seen you and you're, uh, you know, you're about to don't do that. You know? But anyhow, but, the, but these things, but they, but the Holy Spirit's supposed to manifest in the streets. Anyhow. Now the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, they'll work together. Like I said, there's blends. Now, again, I don't want to take time to read all this. The word of wisdom, knowledge working together, 
Like I said, the word of knowledge told them where to find Saul. The word of wisdom shared about Saul's future. And then on, this is on the bottom, of, on the top, on page 21 now, point B. It says, Philip and the Ethiopian. Uh, again, an angel spoke, and, and like you see, point one, two, and three, God revealed his plan and purpose by directing Philip what to do. Philip had to go by faith. He didn't give him the whole plan. God just gave him a word. And like I said, you, I want you to take the time to look at this stuff yourself. Turn to the next page, lesson nine, page 22. Again, I would like for you just to read these for yourself, the word of wisdom. Let me read the top paragraph. The word of wisdom, like the word of knowledge, may be given by an audible voice, a vision, or a dream. It also may come through the vocal gift of prophecy. See, often prophecy will have within it a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. I mean, prophecy is like a vehicle that will carry these other things. That's, but not all prophecy is. A lot of people think if it's prophecy, they always think it is going to be f like foretelling. In the Old Testament, prophets were foretellers. In the New Testament, they're foretellers. The simple gift of prophecy, remember, is edification, exhortation, and comfort. But within prophecy, within the edification, the exhortation, the comfort that might come through somebody that operates prophetically, there indeed might be words of knowledge or words of wisdom. Now, again, this is just what you observe in the Bible. I'm not trying to get you to get, you know, so definitive about it that you're so busy trying to figure, well, I don't know if this is a word of knowledge or word of wisdom that you don't flow with anything. You know what I mean? Because you're so busy trying to be accurate. Quit worrying about being accurate. Just be bold. <laughs> Accuracy will come. You got to start. It's like riding a bike. You got to start. Everything, God, everything is a matter of faith. Just like, again, if you were at Awaken, I love the way Tom and Jane, I've seen them do it before, but it's so neat. They just, you just start. You have to trust. You have to yield yourself and realize, like Jesus said, if you ask of your earthly father, a fish, will he give you a serpent? And he said, how much more? If, you're, if you ask your Holy Father, if you ask your Father for the Spirit, will he give you another spirit? No, if you're, he sees your heart and he knows if you're serious after the things of God, you don't have to be that concerned about getting something bad because your heart's after God. And there's like a fail safe in there that God, I believe with my whole heart, puts in there. He will not, if you're after him, and you're really after him. I, I believe there's like a something that's a block. He will not allow something evil to come because he knows you're looking for him. And like I said, he will be found by those who seek him. Now, see, you have to take that by faith. And you learn, like I said. Okay. Uh, word of wisdom, like I said, let me read it. The word of wisdom, word of knowledge may be given by an audible voice, a vision, or a dream. It also may come through the vocal gift of prophecy and through tongues and interpretation. In the Old Testament, Joseph received a word of wisdom through a dream which revealed God's plan and purpose for the future. Moses received the revelation of the law in an audible voice as God gave it to him. Well, it just goes on. But like I said, let me jump down to point C, the bottom of the page, because I really need to get to the next ones. The word of wisdom indeed can be conditional because it's just that. It's a word about something in the future. A lot of prophecy, you see, in the Bible is unconditional. Like the prophecy of the Lord's return is unconditional. He's going to come back. Hallelujah. But a lot of prophecy and a lot of things, and like words of wisdom, things to do with the future, can be conditional. In other words, just because somebody prophesies it over you, it doesn't mean that it has to come to pass because there are some things that you can do that's conditional upon your obedience and things like that because, listen, we are human beings. We can mess up anything. We're good at it. You know what I mean? But you just be aware that it's conditional, and you can read that for yourself here like in the life of Hezekiah, uh, where this prophet gave him a word and said he's going to die, but Hezekiah turned his face to the wall, repented of his wrongdoings, cried, prayed to God, and, and the prophet was stopped in the middle of the courtyard and said to go back because God showed him that this man had changed, had a change of heart and he gave him another 15 years. 
Now, the next page, page 23, at the top, we see Jonah, point D, a word of wisdom is used to set apart those for special ministry. Point E, used to assure of God's protection. I'm just going to read through them. But down to Roman number two, the gift of discerning the spirits. Let's just look at this one for a moment. The gift of discerning the spirits gives insight into the spirit world. Now, remember, I've actually spoke to that a little bit. It actually has a more limited range than the other two revelation gifts in that its revelation is limited to a single class of objects, spirits, not just evil spirits, but good spirits as well. Now, in the Bible, the gift of discerning the spirits is that. As we're going to read in a moment, there's no such thing as the gift of discernment. I don't care how many people use that phrase. I do know what they mean, though. When people are saying, well, I have, that guy has a gift of discernment, Really, they're probably just, the guy's learned he's very much led of the Spirit. But I'm saying just if we want to get finite about the Bible, there's no such thing as the gift of discernment. It's not just discerning people. It's, it's, the gift is called discerning of spirits in the 12th chapter of Corinthians. Do you see that? It is a gift of the Spirit called the gift of the Spirit. There, to get, it, there's given to one the discerning of spirits. So the actual gift is the discerning of spirits, not people, <laughs> but spirits. Uh, you can see here Moses sees the similitude of the likeness of God. That's, that's actually that in, in manifestation. Point B, Isaiah, and he saw the Lord. That's it. Turn the page. Elisha, you can see as well when God pray, Elisha prays so that his servant can see. Remember, actually the heaven opens up and he sees the chariots of God. He actually sees into the spirit realm. That is the gift of discerning of spirits, okay? Point D, discerning of spirits also reveals the kind of spirit behind the supernatural manifestation. Uh, this is about Paul, Acts 16. I'll read this one. And it came to pass as we went to prayer, certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Now think about that. This is a spirit of divination. Now think about if ministers today had somebody following them around saying, These men are servants of the Most High God. You'd probably put them on salary. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, they're saying, I'm a servant of the Most High God. This is pretty cool. These men are servants of the Most High God, which show us in the way of salvation. But I think this is interesting. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, see, it speaks of something that happened to his spirit. His spirit, mm, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, not the woman, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Like I have down here, Paul discerned the spirit, not the woman. But why I've always liked that is because Paul, as we know, is an apostle of God. He had all manner of healings in, in his ministry that you see. Remember, handkerchiefs and aprons were taken from his body. There's so much anointing on people were healed from that. But I like the fact that this woman followed him for many days. What I'm trying to say is when men of God, women of God, just because they're men of God or women of God, it doesn't mean that they automatically know everything instantly all the time. This went on for many days. I mean, I could begin to, like I said, tell you stories about the church that we were part of in California, what have you. People... Sometimes that this one woman, bless her heart, you know, she was always the loudest woman there yelling hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. And we kind of, everybody just kind of, it was okay. She wasn't causing anybody any harm, you know what I mean? But 
we kind of just put up with her because bless her heart, it was just the way she was. But we had a guy come to the church, long story short, and he discerned a spirit. He discerned that this was a spirit on this woman, that she was yelling hallelujah. But she'd do it so many times that it would cause more disruption than it did, than it did peace or bring peace. And so he called this woman up and prayed for her, man. I mean, she just flat got delivered right then and there. I mean, that wasn't like super dramatic. But there, he didn't, he just called this lying spirit out of her, this spirit, I forget this, I think, I don't even remember, mockery, something to that effect. But the point is, from that day forward, this woman was so changed. I mean, it was like we just, we would see her and she'd come in and she had this glow on her face and it was like day and night. But you know, you're there for, she's been there for a couple of years. And I'm, of course, I was young in the Lord. That's my excuse. <laughs> but, I, you know, didn't, I didn't know any, that this was a spirit. I just thought it was some woman. And I'm so mercy motivated anyhow. I let everybody get away with everything is what everybody's told, although I'm changing my old age. <laughs> but I am, I'm so mercy motivated. It's got me in trouble all my whole life. But the thing is, you know, somebody came in and suddenly just aware this was not God. You know, and there are some things that happen in churches that look okay. Just think about that. This woman, she's got a spirit of divination. And it's, that's what the Bible says. And she's saying, behold, the servants of the Most High God. Well, you'd think, well, that's, what's wrong with that? Well, there was something wrong with it because it wasn't a godly spirit. It wasn't God's spirit that was saying it. It was a demon because demons know God. You know, they know when God's around. And Paul suddenly, in other words, it took him a while, but suddenly one day, you know, it's just like today's language. That's, this is, wait, wait a second, there's something wrong here. And he turned and he addressed the spirit. Now that's something, again, that's we're not teaching on demonology stuff, but when you see this happen in the Bible, remember, you don't, you're not dealing with the person, you're dealing with the spirit. And Paul addressed the spirit. And this is something you have to get, you have to become aware of. You have to divorce yourself from your emotions and quit thinking about the person understand that there's a spirit here that's causing trouble that we want to get rid of, okay? But anyhow, the discerning of spirits is the name of the gift, not the discern gift of discernment. We can correctly identify a genuine manifestation of the Spirit of God if discerning the spirits is an operation. Through this gift, we can know the spirit behind the operation. But again, like all these things, you need people, pastors, leadership teams, you must begin to release your faith for this. It doesn't just happen happen. We need to call upon God. We need to say, Holy Spirit, I'm a candidate. Use me. I don't know how you're going to use me. I don't know what gift is going to be the gift that seems to be most easily functionable in my life, but whatever it is, let it come. I want to yield myself to you because I want to bring the kingdom of God. I want to help people. That's what it's all about. Through this gift, we can know the spirit behind the operation. On the other hand, we can correctly identify the source of the manifestation without even having discerning the spirits in operation in our life. How is this possible? Because if we know the Word of God and are walking in the Spirit, we will have an inward witness that will lead us and distinguish the true from the false. That's what the Bible teaches. Romans 8, 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Point E, what discerning the spirits isn't? It isn't the gift of discernment. Some are really speaking of the word of knowledge in this situation. Others simply have what I call the gift of suspicion. I told you about a woman in our church that Bless her heart, Gladys Birchfield. She's in heaven now, so she wouldn't mind. She'd be at the front door of the church and people would walk in and she'd look at him and smile. She goes, hello. She said, I've got the gift of discernment and I'm discerning you right now. It used to make newcomers feel very welcome. Until we found out what she was doing, we said, Gladys, that's not cool. Some people, you know, I see this in you. And like I said, that's suspicion. That's not discernment. It isn't spiritual mind reading. 
It isn't psychological insight. It isn't mental penetration. And it isn't the power to discern the faults of others. That's just called fault finding. Next page, number 10, page, uh, lesson 10, page 25, the power gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, to another, faith by the same spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same spirit. To another, the working of miracles. So we have the gift of faith, the working of miracles, it says, and the gifts of healings. Now, like I said, actually in the Greek, healings is in the plural. The gift of faith. Remember that the power gifts do something. Those who possess the gift of faith believe God in such a way that he honors their word as his own and he miraculously brings it to pass. Remember that like the other gifts, the gift of faith is a supernatural gift. In other words, it's a faith that comes out of nowhere. It's a faith that is dropped upon you. It's not something that you've developed. It's like you just have a gift. It's like it's a gift. It's just I'm going to do that. I'm able to do that. this is going to happen. I mean, it just comes from heaven. Remember that the other, like the other gifts, the gift of faith is supernatural. It's not natural. It is a gift of the spirit to the believer so that he might receive miracles. This is the difference between the gift of faith and the working of miracles. One works a miracle, one receives. When you have a supernatural, when the supernatural gift of the Spirit called the gift of faith is in operation, you are able to somehow, beyond your own understanding, you're, you have, you're able to receive. I know this is mine. I know this is going to happen. I know this is going to happen. I just, I know it. I, I mean, it's so beyond doubt that it's, it's something, again, that's a supernatural deposit. It doesn't, it's nothing that you've developed and worked, you know, it's not because you've confessed 5,000, I'm, I'm the healed of the Lord, 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 I'm the healed, let's see, 565 more times and I'll have faith. No, that's, that's not what it is. It's a gift of the Spirit to the believer so that he might receive miracles. The working of miracles is a gift of the Spirit given to the believer that he might work miracles. One receives it is passive, one works, it is active. When you perform a miracle, that's working a miracle. But when you receive a miracle, you don't work it, and that's the gift of faith in operation. The power gifts are, as the other categories, very closely associated. In other words, there's always blends. Now, I'm not going to go over this because we've taught a whole course on faith. There are four kinds of faith the Bible teaches. Saving faith, which leads one to salvation. General faith, which every believer has, the fruit of faith or faithfulness, which is the fruit of the recreated human spirit. And then what we're talking about, the gift of faith or a special faith. Some people call it special faith, which is a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit, which is imparted after the baptism of the Holy Spirit as the Spirit wills. Let's just turn the page because we need to get past that to, the, to um, point G where it says the gift of faith in the center of the page. This gift is distinguished from all other types of faith in that there is a special manifestation of the evidence of the supernatural. One can supernaturally and against all odds believe God for a miracle. The gift of faith is a supernatural endowment by the Spirit whereby that which is uttered or desired by man or spoken by God shall eventually come to pass. Whether it be an utterance by God or man, a miracle, assurance, curse, or blessing, creation or destruction, removal or alteration, it will ultimately come when it's been spoken by this gift of faith. Underneath that, the working in miracles utilizes faith which actively works a miracle. The gift of faith utilizes faith which passively expects a miracle, a prolonged or an ongoing miracle. 
The believed for miracle may not manifest immediately. It may manifest over a long period of time. You saw this for supernatural blessings on children. The patriarchs of old would lay hands on the children and command blessings upon them. Often many years later, they came to pass not immediately. Personal protection, we saw that like, these are examples like Daniel and them in the lion's den. That was a gift of faith, to be in the middle of a lion's den and not be fearful because of everything that happened. For raising the dead. Now turn to the next page, 27. It says the gift of faith is in operation. Let me just read this bit. Yeah, but then you can read this whole little testimony of, of Smith Wigglesworth here about the few, some of the people that were raised from the dead in his ministry. But for raising the dead, three gifts, three gifts need to be in operation for raising the dead. Basically, the gift of faith, the working of miracles, and the gifts of healings. To call a person's spirit back into his body takes the supernatural gift of faith. It takes the working of miracles to raise the person. It takes the gifts of healings. Otherwise, if the person's not healed, he would immediately die again. <laughs> Now, let me throw this out real quick. Like I said, I know I'm moving fast, but I, because I want to get over through some of these things because it's important to me. Often, once, if you come out of a church like I come out of where you've had a lot of miraculous things happen and stuff and people that operate in the gifts of the Spirit so much, and you'll hear the stories, and we would hear the stories, and people would come from about people being raised from the dead. And, and so often what would happen is people in the West would, they're a little, it's horrible things. Even here in England once years ago, I remember. And this one couple had a young child. I mean, it's heartbreaking. The child was like three or four years old, had leukemia. They were believing God for his, for his healing. Uh, he did not get healed. So the baby died. The child died. They then came to us, to me actually, and said, we're praying about going and we're praying about going and asking God to raise him from the dead. What do you think? And I said, please listen to me. I said, the raising of the dead, I said, when you read all the stuff, it's, it's is the gift of faith in operation. It's a supernatural, spontaneous act that you don't have time to think about. If you're having to think about it, it's not the gift of faith. And it's going to be very doubtful that you're going to do anything other than break your heart a little further. And, of course, they went and spent, uh, you know, the next day and a half, caused trouble for the hospital and everybody else, uh, praying a prayer, trying to get God to raise this child from the dead. Now, there's a thin line, you see, between faith and presumption. And when you deal with horrific things like that, it is heartbreaking no matter what it looks like. But the point is, see, you have to, again, when you approach the Scriptures, in some cases, you have to become a little bit clinical so that you can read them and understand. Again, it, you have to see if it's a, of course, it's going to take a supernatural something to raise them from the dead. I mean, you know, and all three, you have to see them. If they died or something, they have to be healed of whatever they died from. And again, somebody has to be, if the work, one of the things about working in miracles is somebody has to be bold enough to work it. And that's where, again, like Wigglesworth, I'll try to just read some of this real quick. According to Albert Hibbert, as many as 14 people were raised from the dead during Smith Wigglesworth's ministry. The first instance occurred while Wigglesworth was still working as a plumber. One night he was called to the home of a young woman who was dying of tuberculosis. Wigglesworth started praying for her at 1 o'clock at 3.30 a.m. she died. It was a time when I would not have no, and God said yes, Wigglesworth recalled. The face of Jesus appeared at the window of the room where Wigglesworth was praying. Color returned to the face of the girl. She rolled over, fell asleep, later awakened totally well. I've got the whole sermon of his on that. Another case concerned a neighbor who had died just before Wigglesworth arrived at the man's home. Mrs. Wigglesworth was already there. As Wigglesworth began to pray for the dead man, Mrs. Wigglesworth shook her husband, pleading, Don't, Dad, don't you see he's already dead? But Wigglesworth continued to pray. 
I got as far, listen to what he said, I got as far as I could with my own faith, Wigglesworth said, and then God had hold on me. See, the Spirit of God began to manifest. Oh, it was such a laying hold that I could believe for anything. The faith of the Lord Jesus laid hold of me and a solid peace came into my heart. And the man returned to life. And again, you'll read, this is one of the stories where he actually took, takes a guy out like he does in this next section. In four occasions, he took men out of coffins and put them up against the wall and commanded them to walk. And three of those occasions, the body fell to the ground each time. And he still, want, uh, can you imagine picking the corpse up, slapping it against the wall three times? I said, walk in the name of Jesus. Boom, falls to the floor. He picks him up, slaps him up again. Walk in the name of Jesus. Boom, falls to the floor. Does this three times. The fourth time he says it, and the guy's eyes shock open like that, and he comes walking out of that room into the next room where everybody was sitting there at the wake, and everybody, half of them ran out of the room screaming. They'd flip plumb out because it scared him so bad. But there was a boldness on Wigglesworth that was just probably stronger than anybody we all know in these days. I don't know. But that's the gift of faith in operation and the work in miracles. So now turn to page, go to 28. Hallelujah, the work in miracles. Working in miracles is a divine intervention in the ordinary course of nature, a specific act. Even the word miracle in the Greek means, quote, explosions of almightiness. Isn't that a great, great definition? An explosion of almightiness. The working in miracles is a divine intervention in the ordinary course of nature, a specific act. Miracles demonstrate God's power. Miracles are how prophets establish divine authority in the Old Testament. As I put down there in the Greek, miracles mean explosions of almightiness, impelling, staggering wonders and astonishments. Well, again, we could read all of these. In the Old Testament, parting the Red Sea was a miracle, to say the least. The sun and the moon standing still in its course for 24 hours is a miracle. The parting of the Jordan, the water into wine, the feeding of the 5,000, all the working miracles for divine judgment. There were the plagues of Egypt, the thing that happened with Ananias and Sapphira. Point three, working in miracles demonstrates God's power. It is a divine intervention in the course of nature. It overrides natural law and is active. Now, I mean, I remember this... <laughs> The one, I mean, you've probably heard of these things too, but back in, oh, I think it's Kansas. Uh, the, the church, our friend pastored back in Kansas, you know, we're the farm country, and he was telling the story about, the, you know, the gifts of the Spirit operate strongly in the church. There was this 12-year-old boy, little 12-year-old guy, who was out like they do in those days. He was out the side of the rows while his dad was plowing, with his big John Deere tractor, big twin wheels on each side. Big, I don't know if he's a big tractor. And they're plowing away and he hits a huge boulder and the thing flips over and the entire tractor flips over and actually pins this young boy's father underneath the, the whole block of this, this uh, huge tractor, this big tractor. Now there's farmhands on each side of the road and what have you like that, but the guy tells a story, the brother-in-law of the pastor tells a story that the 12-year-old son, 11-year-old son saw this and screamed in the name of Jesus, at 11 years old, ran to the tractor and picked it up, pushed it off of his dad, literally picked it up and pushed it back on this thing and pulled his dad out. <laughs> what I mean is it was, you know, if you had to take time to think, but what I mean is that's a miracle. 
that is a miracle when something like that happens. Just because, again, there's, a, there's something that's an impassioned response to something that happens that I think is very important. This is why, again, when you fall in love with God, it's very difficult to love God and not hate the devil. And there's something that will happen in the human spirit where, like a Wigglesworth or like these other people, you, you see where you, when you deal with a sickness or a disease or a demon, there is a righteous anger that will come into you because you realize this is not God's will. And this is why I think so much healing does not take place because we kind of try it. Well, and, you know, let's see. We're gonna, you know, well, let's see, let's see. They said to do it this way, so we do it this way. Then. And no, no, no. There's got to be this. It, 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 there's, it, but if you walk with the Lord, as you guys are all going to do very deeply, as you walk with Him and walk with Him, there'll become more and a connection between you and heaven and you and the kingdom to where you'll see things through the eyes and the lens of the kingdom of God. And you'll begin to see some things that quite frankly just disturb you. And you'll realize, you'll know that it may be an occasion that God wants you to do something about it. See, not, understand this too. I have to be careful. In the book of Nehemiah, one of the things the Bible teaches is this. Seeing a need, listen, seeing a need does not necessarily necessitate a call. Just because you see a need doesn't necessarily mean you're the one to deal with it. And that's not doubt now. I'm trying to tell you that not everything that happens is your responsibility to deal with it. But you must have this fight and this awareness and this boldness in you because you don't know if you might not be the person that God's brought on the scene to make the difference. But please know, this is why, again, we have to work on our spirit, work on the love walk. Because, you see, if you want miracles in your life so that you can go testify to everybody about it, well, that's pride. In other words, you have to understand that when you want this stuff to work because you just want people to see. In other words, if your over, overwhelming passion is, I just would love to see God move, I want these people well. You know, the God, God can work with that. But if you're kind of, you know, I wish this would happen because, boy, just think what it would do for my ministry. Just think of the, just think of how good that look on the newsletters. <laughs> you know what I mean. I mean, you say, of course, that's absurd. But you see, that's really at the heart of some of the thinking of some of the people. And that's not what we seek the power of God for. We seek the power of God because we realize we are so horrifically weak in and of ourselves to testify of Jesus Christ. Paul, again, he said, I did not come to you with eloquence of words, but I came to you in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And this is why we do have to start crying out to God nowadays. God, we need your power to manifest itself. I mean, you have not because you ask not. You know, I mean, churches ought to spend, you know, 40 hours a week just doing nothing but that. I mean, I'm telling you, God answers prayer where there are hungry people that are serious about it. But, you know, you don't, well, Lord, we'd love to have, if it's your will, we'd love to have the power of your power. We'd love to see some miracles in our church if it's okay. <laughs> and God's up there going, give me a sleeping pill. You know, because he, he doesn't want to hear that. He wants people that are crying out to him. He wants people that are they're breathing this stuff. They're living it. They're, it's like their water. It's their food. I want this. I have to have this in my life. I have to have it in their life. I've got to get free myself, but I'm not going to wait until I'm Mr. Perfect. I've got, I just am so sick and tired of seeing people sick and tired. I'm so tired of seeing people hurt. I want to have something beyond me so I can help them. And you start wearing that long enough, and like I said, God does not allow the hungry to go away unfed. Hallelujah. Works in, working in miracles. Now, down at the very bottom, page 28, I've only got about eight more minutes left. 
Uh, the working of miracles demonstrates God's powers to divine intervention in the course of nature, overrides natural law, and is active. The gifts of healings. Now, these are supernatural healing of diseases, no natural methods. It's not natural healing arts. It is plural. It's gifts of healings. How it operates, well, again, on the next page 29, it's laying on of hands, anointing with oil, speaking the word. As I got down here, point C, Jesus, of course, brought this gift into prominence. Uh, again, you can read about all those for yourself if you would. Go ahead and turn the page to the final lesson, page 12. Let me just say this about the gifts of healings. Again, as I said before, the Spirit of God, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. And then the last verse of that passage in 1 Corinthians 12 says that he gives, the Spirit of God gives to every man severally as he wills. Now, I've said this in reference to it last week or whenever. The gifts of the Spirit are not things you pick out yourself. You don't go and pick out one of the gifts of the Spirit like you go to Tesco's and pick out the brand of bread you like. Okay? You don't do that. That's not how it works. But the gifts of healings, are, they, there are different gifts of healings. We had to study all things are possible, like I said about Branham and Jack Coe and all these guys. Branham was incredibly anointed with a particular gift of healing, and that was for the blind. I mean, he would have as many as 10 people who were born blind healed in single services. I want you to know that's incredible. Fred Smith, almost everybody he prayed for that was deaf got healed. In fact, Smith was one of the guys. He actually, there's old people. He went to a deaf hospital under the, under the Word of God. God told him to do it and emptied a deaf hospital. He emptied a hospital. All this is stuff, is, this is all done. He emptied a hospital, walked in and emptied it. All over the newspapers. The Jeffries brothers, from which the Elam Church movement began, then Stephen Jeffries, George Jeffries. Uh, Stephen Jeffries was phenomenally used of God, but the particular area that he was gifted in was with people that had rheumatoid arthritis. I mean, he would, they'd have, those are some of the old reel-to-reel -reel tapes that they would let us listen to some, just right, at, right before his, he made his mistake. And he, uh, he would, people would come up in wheelchairs the way God would use them. There's diversities of gifts, diversities of operations, diversities of administrations. They worked, he would dance around the wheelchair and laugh at the devil. He would laugh. And as he began to laugh in the spirit at them and command these things to command them to be healed, their bones begin to pop and crack and snap. And they've got it. You could hear it on these old things, the screaming and and this thing's popped and broken. I mean, they'd say, again, as many as 10 to 12 people that were, you know, like this, rheumatoid arthritis, all like that, that would be totally healed in single meetings. Totally healed. And there's so much to talk about because he, he died horribly. Because in South Africa, he had just done a service, a conference, and he stood up, and I, this was towards the end of his life, he stood up, and nobody knows why he said it, but all these people have just been healed. Now listen, when you have that much power coming out of your life, when God uses that strongly, you know that that draws a lot of audience. He, God had healed all these people. He lifted his hands to heaven and he said these words. It said, this is what is chronicle. He's lifted up his hands and he said, the whole world is at my feet. Ninety days later, he was stricken. Guess what with? Rheumatoid arthritis. Dr. Lester Sermon was one of my, Lester Sermon, like I said, was one of my teachers. Dr. Summerall went to see him over here. He, he died here in England. Went to see him just before he died. Walked in. He knocked on the door. His granddaughter opened the door and said, Thank you, Brother Summerall. Nobody's come to see grandfather in years. He said, I walked in to see Jeffries. And he said, Jeffries' head was bent all the way over, touching his, leg, touching his knee. He was bent into like a pretzel. He said, I prayed for him, blessed him as best I could, said goodbye to him. He died about a month later. 
you don't play with the things of the Spirit. We, we had to study how a lot of these men died. A lot of them didn't die well because they built on the gifts instead of building on the Word of God. Did you hear me? You don't build on the gifts. Gifts are gifts. They're not indicators of spiritual character. There are people that do not have great character that have great giftings. That's what confuses so many in the body. I've only got like two minutes. So anyhow, gifts of healings is not methodology. I used to work with Steve Ryder. I would teach all day. He was from Australia. He had an incredible healing ministry. And Steve, like methodology, you know, different people operate in different ways. Some people lay hands on them this way. I've got to say this real quick before we finish this, this teaching on the Holy Spirit. Don't worry about if it's this way, if it's this way. Some people say, well, you lay hands on them this way. No, you lay hands on this way. Some people, I bind them, I loose them, whatever. It was so funny. When you watch people, you can tell who they've sat under because they copy people. We do it. We don't mean to. We, Steve, the way he'd pray for people, he'd come up for people. He'd put his hand on their forehead. He'd put his right hand on their back and he'd go, loose them. And he'd lift his hand up like that and people would be healed all over the place. And you'd always then find Steve Ryder clones after a while. We, we have Benny Hinn clones now. I mean, you know, it's just, it's not the methods. It's the man, Jesus Christ, that you sanctify yourself to. I've got two minutes. I'm sorry, but I've got to stop. So just look. The last of these are the revelation gifts. Please just take your time and read these for yourselves. The revelation gifts, again, are three gifts that reveal something. They are prophecy. They are tongues and interpretation of tongues, okay? Oh, I'm sorry. No, the, <laughs> the utterance gifts. I'll get it right straight here. The, the utterance gifts, the tongues, um, prophecy, and interpretation of tongues. But please just take the time to read that. I, I'm sorry I don't have enough time to go over it, but if you'll read it for yourself, it'll help you out, all right? Now, you've got to love me anyhow, but I've got to stop right in the middle. I know I've spoken so fast, it's unbelievable, but let's just pray and trust God that you're going to go home, study this stuff like until it comes out of your ears, and when it's all said and done, all you're going to say is, Holy Spirit, you live in me. Come and take me over and use me how you want to use me. I am a candidate. I yield myself to you. In Jesus' name, whatever gifts you want to flow through me, let them come. I will not compare myself with somebody else. I just know that you're in me, and therefore these gifts are in me. I'm going to learn which one is the one that you have picked out for me to flow in the most. Father, I ask you to help them with this. In the name of Jesus Christ, Help us all be a people that are yielded to your spirit, a people that walk in the spirit so that we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh, but rather we fulfill the desire of heaven. Holy One, teach us to really fellowship with you and commune with you because you're the one that's on the earth. You're the one that's in us. You're the one that's around us. We bless you, Father, for your great, great word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to obtain more teaching material by Rod Anderson, please visit www.prayerforthenations.com or call us or write to us using the contact details on your CD or cassette case.